Welcome. I'm so excited as we begin our second season, episode 21, Purpose, Passion, and Pajamas, with our very special guest, speaker, author, personal strategy coach, human connection expert, and founder of the Pajama Program, Genevieve Paturo. Genevieve was a successful television marketing executive until she dramatically changed the direction of her life. She found her true purpose when a sudden voice inside her head challenged her life as she knew it. In 2001, she founded the hugely successful national nonprofit pajama program when a six-year-old girl's question changed her life forever and she jumped off that corporate level. Almost 20 years later, Genevieve, her pajama program has delivered 7 million magical gifts of new pajamas and new books to children throughout the US. Genevieve, is now a professional speaker, author, personal strategy coach, and consultant, sharing life and leadership lessons she learned through her pajama program journey. Her book, Purpose, Passion, and Pajamas, How to Transform Your Life, Embrace the Human Connection, and Lead with Meaning, was released in August 2020. And she presented her first TEDx talk, One Idea Plus the Human Connection Equals 7 Million Pajamas and Books. She has been interviewed on many local and national media outlets, too many to really name here, but also Oprah. And she continues to inspire others to listen to their heart voice in pursuing their passions. You will be empowered with today's heartfelt conversation and this inspiring journey on how one brilliant woman made a major life change at the age of 38 to pursue her true passion and purpose and make a difference in the world. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you to our special guest, Genevieve Paturo. Welcome, Genevieve. Thank you, Moira. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited. I love your name. <laughs> you oh, know, thank you. <laughs> it makes me to think of King Arthur Day, and I used to have a little Barbie with this beautiful dress. And so <laughs> even saying it, Genevieve, it's just, it conjures up this, well, who you are, this beautiful woman. <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. When I was younger, I hated it because nobody could say it, and I wanted to be Jennifer so badly. But as I grew into it, I just loved it, and, and now it's it's great because it's so unique. Yes, and that's like we were just saying before here. Like you know, Moira, I I was new when the teacher got stuck. Oh, she's looking yes. for me. <laughs> but uh, you know, and then people told me. Uh, everything it meant and one day in university somebody said Moira means fate do you know that and I didn't know was it good fate or bad fate but as I grew up I knew it was good fate so you'll probably make your your own yes yeah so Genevieve because you are the first guest I'm so excited 2021 and you know 2020 has been a really unforgettable year for all of us and I believe we're ready to create a new way of being as we enter into this new era the age of Aquarius one of community contribution for me, also unity consciousness and human connection. And you state when we restore this human connection in our lives, we also restore meaning in our lives because we start to care for ourselves and each other and what we can accomplish together, that collaboration. And you also shared that you wanted to be like Mary Tyler Moore. And, and then 15 years into your career, you heard this voice. So please share this powerful story and how your life dramatically changed. Where did it all start? Sure, and I agree, this has been a crazy year and we, we are all reevaluating, it's important. Um, yes, I wanted to be Mary Tyler Moore from the, the <laughs> earliest memory. I snuck downstairs to watch her every Saturday night and you know, she <laughs> read the 
the life I wanted, you know, city girl and single with a great job and entertainment and great best friends. She had her own apartment and, you know, she always had a great wardrobe. And to me, that was success. And I wanted to be that woman, you know, breaking through in a man's world and living on my own. Um, but 12 or 13 was a little young, so I had to wait and go to college. <laughs> but that's when I started dreaming of being married to more. And um, that's an awesome story. <laughs> oh, I, I just loved her and never got to meet her. I just took a picture with her statue, but I don't, you know, wish I had. And yes, like you said, I was climbing that corporate ladder. I, I was loving it. I was a workaholic and all the colleagues, you know, were workaholics. And that to me was status and success and uh, independence. Mm-hmm. And little, in a little did I know one afternoon when I was just putzing around my little apartment, I heard a voice ask me a question. And I know the voice came from, it didn't come from my head. Or I was used to voices coming from my head. But this one came from in, in my soul, in my heart. I call it my heart voice now. And it asked me, if this is the next 30 years of your life, is this enough? Wow. That's a big question. I was, it was a big question. And it really it panicked me first because I heard a voice and it was so clear and I was alone. So I knew that this was some, some voice that was, I had to listen to. And mm-hmm. I sat down and immediately I knew the answer was no. What am I, what am I doing? What am I living for? What's this really, what's this life really about? And I realized I'm just working for other people. I'm working for money. I'm alone and I would be alone. I didn't, you know, make time for a family. It wasn't important to me to have, you know, a husband and children at that point. And I started to really think hard and literally started that day thinking, how can I change things? I know that that voice was telling me something that it probably was trying to tell me earlier. And it was really the time. So I thought, how can I bring children into my life? And that's when I started meeting in shelters and um, met a little girl that changed everything. So tell us about that little girl and, and how, how that happened and going into, you know, shelters and that, that'd be pretty, very dramatic to see those children all alone in that. And, and as we know, a lot of children, you know, there's a lot of trauma they carry. And I, you know, I was a social worker for years and, Oh, all all so, that background that yes, yes. Is, is so in their consciousness. Yes, you're right. You're right. I don't think you can ever outgrow that or, or you know, uh, forget that. But I thought, you know, where are, where do they take these children that I see and you know, hear about in the newspapers and the TV news? And I called the local police and I, I asked them that, where do these children go? Where do you take them? And they gave me a couple of um, New York City and Westchester shelters emergency shelters where 24 hours the children would be brought there by police or social workers because they were being harmed or because they'd been neglected or mm-hmm. over and i called and pre 9 11 in new york you could do what i did and literally say hi i'm a nice person can i come and read to the children at night and they would respond the same way sure you sound like a nice person we'd love to have you and i so I brought some books one night after work and I made my way over and I went in there. Now I didn't, I don't know what they expected, Myra, but 
I was in for some education and you just said you were a social worker, so you know more than, than I did. And they, I went up to this uh, room. Some places over the, those few weeks were not uh, public. You'd have to know, mm-hmm. oh, you know, because there are people are hiding the children. Yeah, I understand. Mm-hmm. Them harm. And some have a sign on the door. So I went into one of the places and they led me to a room that was really, really bare. And they said they bring the children in to make myself comfortable. Now I was in a business suit because like I said, I didn't have any clue. And I had a bag of books and there were, wasn't anywhere for me to sit. There were a couple of children's size chairs. So I sat on the floor and then I saw those faces at the door. And they walked in with the staff person and they saw me sitting on the floor. And so they sat on the floor and they were told that nice lady's gonna read them a story. And I read story after story, you know, because there, there wasn't, nobody was talking. They'd been through, I don't know what, at that point I had no clue. They were very quiet. They were wearing clothes that I know they'd been wearing for too long. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them were so frightened looking and the only voice was mine. I'd read story after story until the staff came and you know, said, okay, children, time for bed. And I didn't ask questions and they didn't volunteer any situation you know, information. So time after time, I went to different places. And one night I followed to where they were taking the children to go to sleep because I was curious. And I saw the same type of a bare room, which they called the bedroom, with futons and cots and couches and sometimes more than one child on the surface. And all the the memories of my mom and bedtime with her and my sister and brothers flooded back to me because these children were in the same clothes they'd been wearing. There was nothing to change into. Some of them were crying. And the staff were lovely, but it wasn't really the atmosphere for tucking in each child in a bedtime story. I had done you know, some reading. And the only thing that came out of my mouth was, could I bring some pajamas next week? And they thought that was really a great idea. And I did. And I had a bag of pajamas and a bag of books with me and lots and lots of sizes so no one would be left out. And I started handing them out to the children. And one little girl halfway through, she just shook her head. She was so afraid all night, I could just see it. And her clothes were too tight and soiled and her hair was messy. And she was just, she was just, she just looked so alone, this little girl. And I tried to give her a pair of pajamas I knew would fit. And she just kept shaking her head. No, 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 no. And she watched me give them to the rest of the children, but she kept saying no. And I tried to give them to her until finally she was the last one there. She wanted to watch. And I went back over to her with her staff person. And I tried again on my, I was on one knee. And she whispered to me, what are they? What are pajamas? And she could barely say pajamas. Mm-hmm. What are pajamas? <clears throat> And that was the moment everything changed because I just, I had, I, I, I couldn't talk. I didn't think I heard her right. I just was in, in shock that there was this world of children like this one that didn't have the smallest piece of bedtime comfort of a mother's love that it, it literally, I think it broke my heart. And mm-hmm. That was the beginning of a non nonstop obsession. Well, well, that was another heart voice connection. Not only the question that you heard in your head from your heart, 
and then this connection with this child and and you following this like you're pursuing you know one step at a time here and the you know the compassion and the love and connection you made but also really the courage to to go and look at that a lot of people don't want to look at things that are happening in the world no no and there's things happening in our backyard kind of thing um and like you said these homes are sometimes hidden away to protect those people um because i know that we had that in the social work world um but for you to make that step and go in that was a lot of courage i think on your part to really you look know, at I, that. I didn't yeah i i, I Maybe, but I didn't think about that. Mm-hmm. I had, I was totally ignorant. I mean, I grew up in a middle-class family. My father came from Italy. My mother didn't work. We made ends meet barely. My mother could stretch a dollar a million ways. You know, I knew what it was like not to have luxury, which is probably what motivated me to want to make money to help the rest of, you know, certainly my mom and everyone. But that was still a far, a far way from what this child and others like her were living through. And I wasn't prepared, not that you could ever be prepared, mm-hmm. but I was just, I was embarrassed and I, I was so ignorant. I was just, I was just so embarrassed in, in my, my own heart that I was unaware. And I just, at that moment, I just became obsessed with fixing, helping. There was something simple I could do. And if I told other people, wouldn't they want to help? And they did. So part of your mission, which is there's lots of vision, mission around you, just, oh, I'm so taken by you, Genevieve. You're such a beautiful, beautiful soul. And wow. Like your mission is to inspire people to listen to their own hearts. How do, how do you do that? And, and please share some lessons here in leadership and some tools and how people can motivate themselves to really find their pajamas, meaning their, right, their right. life purpose. Right, right. Um, well, you know, that's why I, I wanted to write the book because mm-hmm. I would speak, you know, these 20 years and tell the story because it was very important for me to tell the story because it wasn't the same if I said, listen, there are kids who don't know what pajamas are. Can you support us? Can you write a check? Can you send me some, you know, new pajamas and new books? It was more compelling, I realized, by telling the story because it was mm-hmm. an incredible reaction for most people. I, I felt like they got it. They got exactly what I felt. They felt it too. Even though she wasn't standing in front of them, like she stood in front of me, she came through me almost, which sounds crazy, but it was Doesn't it sound crazy. true. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. I know mm-hmm. you know what I mean. It was as if I was, I was just speaking in her voice and standing there because I felt it. And because they felt it, they wanted to move. It moved them. And they told other people, no matter where I went, that human connection was astounding. That was my introduction to how powerful this human connection is. And I, I write so many stories in the book about who did what and who heard what and what their reaction was and how far that little girl traveled through my voice, through my connections to people. And I say at the end of every chapter, I have heart of the matter takeaways, which are life lessons. And there are, there are, many of them and one of them is that the human connection is just a miracle machine it's it's unbelievable and that came out of one of the, the last lessons in the book is people always say and i heard it too for 20 years and and i and i thought it was lovely but it's so i learned it's so untrue look at the power of one look what you did you're just one person what a great idea one with the power of one 
you know what? It's, it's not true. It's not the power of one. It's the power of one another that moves mountains and moves people. And that's what we have to, that's what, what I learned. And that's what I try to share because I've, I've seen from zero to 7 million and growing even this year, the people who are moved by sharing a story. So we have to share our stories. And, and I don't think it's a coincidence that we're, we're wearing masks and we're looking in each other's eyes. That's, mm. that's, the, that's the soul right through there, right through each other's eyes. You have to look now. You, you can't just hear because sometimes it's muffled with the mask. You can't read lips because you can't see the lips. You're looking in the eye. And I, I think whether we know it or not, we're reaching deeper. I love that you brought that up and uh, definitely about story. Our stories matter. It's important for us to own our voice, to be, be true to ourselves. Part of my, my branding is create the life you love on your terms. It's not about being somebody else. If somebody inspires you in that and they can help mentor you, as you say, once you've done something and if you can mentor it and pay it forward, I think that's a por- important part of the process. But this part about the eyes, for sure. And I said that to somebody in the summer, I guess it was, this lady, beautiful lady, and we both had her mask on, and she was smiling behind, and, and she said something, and I said, oh, you're such a beautiful person, I can see that. And she goes, well, she's smiling under the mask, and, and then she said, oh, I can see who you are through your eyes, exactly what oh. you said. And um, I thought, yeah, because but there's times I go by a child in that and I smile under the mask and I want the child to see the smile. Right? Yes, yes. But that child gets it. But this part about owning your voice, like I think right now the empowerment of women and men to really look at your story, be truthful. And you were brave enough to just get out there and start doing things. Cause there was, you had your challenges along the way. Like, you know, like we all do when we're creating something and that, that first leap of faith to go down a new path, Tell us about that, because you said you're a leaper. And so there's yes. leapers, and there's people that, there's no, no judgment here. Like, there's times I've sat on the, the sideline, and then I'll say to myself, I'll have the talk. Okay, it's time to get off that fence. It's time to go do this. And it, it takes courage. It takes, you know, to look at, there's maybe risk there, but there's also all of this growth and expansion that we can experience in our heart. And that's what I think the universe is about, expansion and love. So you're a leaper. How... Is that every area of your life you're a leaper or, and you had faith when you made this leap? Um, well, I, I am, I am a leaper. I've always been <laughs> that way for good or bad. And let me tell you, there's a lot of bad in there too, as you can imagine, in, as I detail in my book, which is very honest. Um, mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. just the way that I, I've always done things. I jump and then I figure out how to swim. So I, but I really was, I was really directed by something outside of me um, through that little girl. I, I did feel obsessed, as I said. I didn't, um, I didn't make a list of the pros and cons. I didn't make a list of what to do. I didn't have any resources. Um, I spent all my money, I rang up the credit cards ridiculously because I just had to make sure no child would be without pajamas on that next visit. I was very irresponsible, but I, I just, believed mm-hmm. I just believed and maybe it wasn't it probably wasn't the smartest way um, to to start something which I didn't even know I was starting until I realized um, so many there was a little article that came out in a national magazine like a local 
reporter said, called me and said, are you the lady giving pajamas to children in the shelter? And I said, yeah, I guess so. She wrote a little article and there's more drama to it in the book. But what happened was thousands and thousands of packages showed up at my door of my little apartment. And as I opened them, um, and along the way, the universe helped me find this wonderful man who, when I said something really as ridiculous as, I think I'm going to quit my job and give these pajamas and books to children in shelters. And then I waited for this response that a normal human being would say, like, you know, well, what is your plan? But he didn't ask me what my plan was. He said, go for it. So I married him. <laughs> he was the one for me. That's Dino, your husband. <laughs> my husband oh. Dino, right? And I was 38, so I had waited. But um, he moved <laughs> into my place and all these boxes and bags and packages were arriving in letters and we read them. They piled up. We were eating on them and we couldn't even find each other. It was a maze and crying after every one because people were giving their... I could see if it was a senior citizen giving me $5. I could read... If it was a corporate person, I could read if it was somebody who just said, please give these to a child. And it was a pair of, you know, new pajamas. And I looked at him and in a, you know, a second, I said to him, this is, this is a responsibility now to these people. And that's when I had to get, you know, all the paperwork, which I never planned. You know, I, I didn't, I was just doing this because I felt like I could make a difference and get pajamas to children. But it became clear that this was something that I could have help with. And so that's, that's when the universe said, <laughs> we're going to give you a little boost here. You're going to need to look at the business side, whether you like it or not. Yes. And then and you, so you learn about non-for-profit and all the, what you had yeah. to do there. That, that's a learning curve, like huge. That, oh my that, goodness. Oh my goodness. It's unbelievable. Yeah. That could be really frightening. Like, like if your brain's not functioning that way, I, I know I would yeah. find it. Like, yeah, it, wow. was, it was overwhelming. I had to find people to help me. And I had no money because I spent it all. I mean, literally. And I was, um, you know, I was just, and, and of course, I was afraid to ask for help. You know, we all are. But at one point, I, I, I had to, or I wouldn't have gotten to the next step. And so I, I pushed myself. And, you know, and I talk about when I coach, I say, I know who you are because I was you. I was afraid. I was ignorant. I was embarrassed. I struck out and I had to get up. And, you know, most people didn't know any of that for a good number of months. People thought I was doing my job and everything. And I was hiding all this stuff and hiding my money troubles. But, you know, that's, but I can, I can share those secrets now, thankfully. And being inspired by all these people over 20 years, I want to inspire somebody else to take that leap. Or, or I say take a slide if you can't take a leap. And that's, that's what I'm coaching in the new year. Yes. Especially, yeah, yeah, especially I, in this climate. I, I have that as one of my questions. Why don't we just dive into that about taking a slide and for people to move towards that area of their passion, their purpose, and finding their pajamas. So tell yeah. us a bit about that. Sure. Mara, you actually mentioned something along these lines a little bit ago. Um, this is this is a scary time and mm -hmm. it is for me too financially I mean, it is for all of us and starting a new thing again in the pandemic I understand um, you know people's uh, fear of starting something new but but I know that this these eight months have caused people to reflect on what's really important and what they're not doing as much as what they're they have to do for 
food on the table. And I say, this is the time to bring hope and to remember what brings us joy. So whatever you've put on the back burner that you've said, like all of us have said, when the time is right, when I get this much money in the bank, when the kids mm-hmm. are, take that, whether it's learning to ride a horse, teaching, gardening, becoming a dentist, whatever it is, take it from the back burner and slide it up to one of the front burners and do something about it once a week, just once a week, an hour. You will be shocked at how much joy and happiness you feel by letting, it's like a gift to yourself, letting yourself know your dreams are still alive and there's hope there. And it's just, it changes it changes us and it changes the people in our world. They feel that energy of, of hope and being, being alive amidst, you know, the, the uncertainty. I definitely feel that's one of your wisdom gems about gifting yourself, you know, a purposeful and a meaningful present to yourself by taking that time and, you know, and really being in gratitude. You know all about gratitude, Genevieve. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's powerful. And um, I know when I meditate, um, I realized the other day, I was thinking I was meditating only three years, but it's four years in, next year will be five years that I meditate every day. And that's a non-negotiable for me um, mm-hmm. to have that time. And really, you know, there's times I start just saying, thank you, thank you. And just going into that space and, you know, and feeling that. And, and it switches your energy. You're literally in this place of total gratitude and gratitude for our life and all the miracles around us if we would open our eyes at times and and see just how bountiful that we are in our life. Even if there's even a slight thing. I know some people say to me sometimes, Oh, I don't really have much or, you know, I don't know my purpose or my passion. And I believe that we've been put on our heart, what you really desire and what you've, you know, if you look, reflect on your life, what things you're drawn to and you know, what, what makes you smile, what lights up your soul. If you really start, like you were saying at the beginning, the questions that we ask ourselves and start exploring that and taking time like you said every week to start moving forward one baby step at a time it starts to get you know this i call it a snowball effect and the people circumstances and you know opportunities will show up as long as we keep our eyes open we're open to not the how which the house not our job it's the universe <laughs> exactly exactly yeah and that's a hard lesson to learn it was for me but I'm 20 years in and nobody believes more in the universe than I do. Except maybe you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to get out of my own way for many years. Um, um, I'm 61, going on 62. I said to my husband the other day in February, two months. And, you know, it's, it's really, it's taken me a while to get to that point also and, and to not try to figure it has to be my way or, you know, the highway <laughs> and, mm-hmm. You know, and also what's important in our lives every day and giving back and contribution is huge. And as I said at the beginning, I truly believe that we're in this age of Aquarius, which is not Pisces anymore. It's not about separation and competition. It is about collaboration, community mm-hmm. and connection, as you call human connection, um, is huge. Um, and to what we can do together. How, how do people cultivate more compassion and this connection and this love in their hearts, so they can create this more meaning and fulfillment. What would be your first mm, little gem again? I'm calling them wisdom gems today. <laughs> I would you. say sh- share your story. Tell share them your, your story. story. And ask, ask them what's yours. Yes. And people, people will. We, we will, but nobody's asking. I mean, now more, more than ever, I think in some cases we are asking more. 
um, because we're in this together. And it's, it is a, you know, just a, a cliche, a saying, but it's, it's very true. And I do think that we get that from each other, that we, there is that natural compassion if we're not rushing or panicking. So I say, sit down and, you know, say, you know, this was happening with me. I was, you know, running a nonprofit and I wanted to write a book and, and speak more. And I had no idea that it would launch in a quarantine and it's, it's tricky, you know, and, and it's weird. And that's got me all, you know, finding new ways and trying to be as creative and, you know, how about you? And if you open up, they'll open up and they'll, they'll, I've heard so many stories. It's just that we have to ask. And you also had the situation when you were at the, just before you're publishing this book that your mother did get COVID. She came through it, but how scary is that? Yes. And it was at the early day in the early days. And we thought that was a death sentence. I mean, it was, it was so scary. It was really, you know, we weren't allowed to be with her and my sister and brother and I in our own cars raced to the hospital to meet the ambulance that was going to take her to hope to see her and give her a hug before they took her into the hospital in those seconds, because we knew from what we heard, you couldn't get near anyone once they got to the hospital. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I did not make it. My sister and my brother got there and they ran over to the, you know, to the ambulance and, and she came out and they didn't listen. They just grabbed my mother and hugged her. And I got there a minute too mm -hmm. late, but thankfully she's fine. She, she pulled out of it quickly and then, uh, and she's fine now. We still can't see her because of the regulations in the assisted living, but um, it was, it's still scary, but it was scary. I understand that because I've shared on some of these shows that at that time, just before that started, um, at the beginning of this year, January 2020, uh, my husband was diagnosed with stage four and then went to stage three prostate cancer. Oh. And, and he, he ended up getting into a clinical study because he was so healthy, like he juices and exercises and works out. And, and so it was quite the thing to hear that when it, you're told that, right? Yeah. And, and then as he got into this program, uh, he, he went into the arm that had chemo and all the different things, radiation and, and immunology. And, um, and my son, because I can't stand needles or anything, he went for the first uh, chemo session with him and it was a long day in the hospital. And then after that, no one could go in. That was it then. That door was closed. And yeah. it was very scary to see a loved one in there and you can't be with them. That's, mm -hmm. that's totally scary. And you know, he's on the other end of this now. Mind you, at the very end, it's only four months ago that he had the surgery. And also he ended up, um, they did an AGM on him and he ended up going in for, with his heart and he got two stents put on his heart. So it was just, what, what else can happen? And at the beginning of this, I was interviewed on a podcast and I was like, no, I'm, I'm okay with this. I've been an entrepreneur for over 30 years and I work from home and I can wear whatever I want. And, uh, you know, going out just for food and that. So it didn't impact me. But as the year went on, and I was the one doing all the grocery shopping, I was the one doing the driving, it, it accumulated. And there was, I had to really be in check with my emotions. And also being an empath, and your husband, you were telling me, I'm sure he picks it up, Demo, that, and yourself, <laughs> that I pick up that collective consciousness at times. And I'd wake up and think, this isn't mine. This is buying into that fear out there. And, and I... And that's that practice of meditation and taking care of yourself 
to be in that state so you you can be strong and you can be you know the light worker the work that we are here to do in the world so right right I, well that was so well said Mara. yeah now i want you to share it because i know when i heard you sharing this story and i also read your beautiful book and uh it's very powerful about the man who started coming up to you and just asking you all these questions and just boom 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 questions and then really the surprise that you had when he shared his personal truth. So tell us a bit about that because you, you impact, you're impacting so many people in the world, but, but these stories are really personal. Yeah, it was, it was a very personal um, moment. And it's just another example of how the human connection moves us forward. Mm-hmm. And I say that it moves us forward when we're honest and true and on our path and purposeful, it's just like, a, it just lifts us. And instead of having to, you know, just drive through the mud for 10 steps, it's like, it's like it lifts us 10 steps in a second. So um, at the early stages, um, we were opening a, a little meeting center that was a space donated to us by an orphanage or group home that said, would you like to come here? You could read to the children, give them pajamas right here in this little, little space. And I was excited. And so we got some um, posters and things. And, and this man apparently stole one. And he, he called me on my cell phone. And I answered. And he just started asking me questions. You know, he, if he even said his name, I don't know. But he didn't say his affiliation. So he started saying, why, why are you doing this? Why did you start this? How many do you do? What, why here? What do you think it's accomplishing? And... I started to get nervous. I, I was mm-hmm. answering all his questions because I, you know, I was a pretty open person, but I started to get nervous and he sensed that. And he said, I don't, I don't mean to make you nervous. I just want you to know that I was a little boy in an orphanage and what you're doing means so much. I cried every night wondering where is my mommy? And I can tell you those children feel it. They know, they know that you're there when they get those pajamas. I just wanted you to know that. Oh my gosh. And you know, I, there were so many days where I really doubted myself. What am I doing? Can I really get enough? Is it making a difference? And that call came and it was another gift, a gift from, you know, the universe. And he said he was a grown man. He owned a company in his forties. He said, I have never been back to that orphanage. I think it's time. And if you'd like to walk it with me, I would, I would really like that. Oh my gosh. And we, we walked and, it, and I mean, he was hesitating on the way to his cottage and then his room. And we had the director, you know, take us there. She was also really emotional. And we got to his room and oh my gosh, I could feel, I felt the, the pain and the, just that emotion from him just by sitting next to him and watching him peer into that room. Oh my gosh, it was just, it was something I'll never forget. And, and he stayed as a supporter and we were good friends. See, that story is amazing. And like you said, we need to share our stories. With your story, another story shows up and then another wow. one. But to see a man at that age who was back in that you know, orphanage and that at that time and that room's still there and that and him walking through, what a what a gift you also presented, the space for him, the sacred space for him to go through a healing, even if going through healings aren't always like, you know, 
da 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 da. You know, they can be very painful. And it was, and yes, and and the orphanage asked him to do the graduation speech. Yes, and he really grappled with that. And you know, at that point, we were friends, and my husband was was friends with him, and he wanted to do it. He just didn't know if he could get through it without, you know, without sobbing. And he, he, he cried a little <laughs> and we all cried a little. And certainly the introduction of who he was and why he was there to make the speech tore everybody apart, um, you know, in, in an emotional good way, but um, it was quite moving. Tears are a good thing. I, I think that's the thing when sometimes like, like you've been so, vulnerable sharing your story in your book and your speaking and everything and that's scary for people but here as you do it too and that we allow ourselves gives ourselves permission to cry and and the space to you know i do this thing let go let god or let the universe whatever it is and i i literally surrender when i'm in anxiety or anything and for a higher power and then i just come back to being very present but what a gift did you give him? And that's something that's, that's one of my next books, Genevieve, about what is the gift in us? Cause I truly believe in every challenge and obstacle that comes our way, as you know, definitely there's gifts in there. If we can just look at those little gems that we're being given and the universe definitely was co-creating with you every step of the way. And you were asking because asking again, like you said, can be very hard for some people thinking maybe they're, they're weak or, they might be a failure or something, all these things that go through our mind and to be kinder to ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Asking, asking is hard, you know, it does make you feel weak and, you know, <laughs> ignorant. Um, you know, we always fear a negative reaction from someone or feeling, you know, embarrassed, but we have to ask of each other and, and of the universe too. I had to get used to that whole concept, but it, it's asking, the universe is asking yourself, is asking, you can call it your higher self, you can call it God, you mm-hmm. can call it your soul, you can call it anything, but it's, it's invisible, but it's felt. And it is an invisible thread, like you said, that unites us all. That's why at the beginning I talked about unity consciousness is something I hold, and it is part of the show, this unity consciousness to really celebrate our diversity and our uniqueness and our gifts and our voice and in a powerful way that empowers us and inspires us and brings us together. So it uplifts us. It's funny that you mentioned an invisible thread. A good friend of mine has been a mentor. She's an author, and that's the name of her book, and it's a true story of of, uh, somebody she met. And um, wonderful, yeah, yeah. So it's funny. So we we share sort of a human connection thread, she and I, and and you got it. Now you also you didn't just work with those children because there's also you know some children that are older in these homes and group homes and everything. And you worked with some teenager girls, and I want you to share a little bit what you know the common thread that's really among all of us. So again, back to that invisible thread, the common thread. How how did what did you do with them to empower them so they had a voice and and what was the message that you brought to them through you being with them and very i can i can see you there being with somebody and people know when somebody's really sitting there listening and when they're not right they're somewhere else mm-hmm. or, or someone you're talking to someone and they're just waiting to dive in to say something so they're not really present but your presence with those girls tell me a bit about that because let it be 
a teenage girl in a situation like that, like in a group home or um, a facility away from their family, or just a teenage girl, as you know, us growing up, you know, <laughs> it's not the easiest time back there, high school, junior high. I did both. It does right, right. All of us, no matter where we are, when we get to that like thirteen or so, we're all the most insecure than we ever will be. Um, these these girls were um, they have a special place in my heart. Mm. The boys too. The teenagers, they know the score. Little children, um, give them things. You give them attention. We bring pajamas and read with them, and you know, get them to smile and they're more resilient. Some of the teenagers, all of them know the score. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they probably won't get adopted past a certain age, which they understand. And they're living in a group setting with other girls or other boys, and they're all competing for love. It's about love. It's about the trauma that brought them to a place where they don't feel worthy. It's place where they sometimes cause themselves harm because they are so alone and lonely. And I had no idea how I was going to walk in there and help and support and even have any of them talk to me because I knew they were going to look at me and say, what do you know about what I'm about? But I wanted, I didn't want to not try. I wanted them included in pajama program and, and I wanted to embrace them just like the little kids. So what happened just sort of happened um I, I sat organically probably. Yes, that's yeah. organic. I think you were looking for that yeah, word. Yes. That's exactly right. So I wanted to a friend of mine ran a magazine, children's magazine, written by kids for kids. And she said, let's have them write this magazine. Ask them maybe they'll write poems or something, right? So I thought it would be fun that they could make their own magazine together. So when I proposed to them, all first time sitting at this table looking at me like, what are you gonna do? And I proposed, we'll make a magazine together. You can name it, you can put your own art in it, we'll write poems. And that was the word that, I mean, if they could have gotten up and walked out, without the staff telling them to sit back down, they would have. So I said, okay, forget what I'm telling you, I think would be a good idea. What do you want to do? And the number one thing they wanted to do was sing and rap. So I said, what do you think singing and rapping is? They're songs, they're poems. That doesn't mean that, that they have to rhyme, but they have some kind of uh, message. So why don't you write songs and write your rap? So, of course, that got them a little more interested. And before you know it, within, I think, eight of the 10, no, week number eight of 10 weeks that they had to come in and be part of this program, they were fighting for who was, was going to be in the front and who was going to get a byline, <laughs> who was going to be able to have their art accompany that in the magazine. And it was, it was the most beautiful, oh, yes. organic, <laughs> your word, <laughs> Um, 10 weeks and at the end we invited we let them invite whoever they wanted and some did have a family member who they invited to come and we served treats and and punch and things and they read one of their 
tones and their book, their magazine was glossy and they had named it. And everyone was just, our, our hearts were beating out of our chest. It was an unbelievable, never planned that ceremony, never knew how they would feel about it. It was just, it was amazing. And all they wanted was to be seen, to be recognized, to feel like they had done something that people thought was really good. And it was, it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Such a message of hope and love that you created. And I love that you, you just wanted to help again and you didn't know how, but you, you still made that first step. And then it just unfolded again because that's that part, leave the how to the universe. Because when we get into the how, we can block ourselves and have these stories. Oh, like you said, I'm not enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't know how to do that. We can have all that dialogue, which doesn't empower us to move forward. But you, even with the fears and everything that you've had, you just step in there, Genevieve. It's just, it's, it's such a gift for people to be hearing that, to, oh. to, to know that you had all those experiences. And here again, you're helping these teenage girls. And, you know, well, I remember standing there. Yes. So I remember standing there. I can still picture myself. I mean, I was just so nervous because I wasn't getting a response that first night. Like, why would I think I would get a response? I didn't look like them. I didn't act like them. I didn't wear what they were wearing. I didn't rap. I didn't sing. Um, and I remember being so upset with myself. And, and, but I didn't walk out of the room. I wasn't going to do that. I was going to keep trying. And I was trying to balance not being pushy, but trying to find a, a commonality, something they would respond to. I remember more like it was yesterday, those mm -hmm. feelings of, you know, please let me find something that they react to that I can grab onto and, and you know, support them with. And it was, it was revealed. See, that's another great message that you're not trying to put something on them or make them go a certain path like, oh, we're going to do this this way you know, read da, da you really listened. And that's a big component of that. Like you asked, and then, you know, you found out what they like singing and rapping and then how you transformed that by putting that into poetry and for them to create this and give them not only hope and love, but like you said, they, they're, they're being seen. They're not forgotten. They're important. Each one of them as yeah, each one of us are. Right. That, so powerful. <laughs> now you, you had on your, now I had like you, a vision board where you'd go in a magazine and glue things on and stick it in front of you. So, you know, your subconscious mind can always see it. So it's picking up what you want. And, um, but you made a vision board and you wanted to be on Oprah. But when you first did that, again, you thought that was such a big, big thing, but it happened. So let's, let's go into that. Story. <laughs> it's a, it's a it fun happened. story. Yeah, it happened. Well, that's, um, that's my husband. You know, I met this great guy, like I said, very early on. And again, it was the, the, to credit the universe for bringing the right person to me. Yes. And I am a very, like I said, I'm, I'm a leaper and um, I, I pride myself on checking things off my to-do list as fast as I can. And he is definitely a stop and smell the roses kind of guy. And <laughs> an example is one, he, he rented the apartment above the one I owned in New York. And that's how we met. And we'd gotten to know each other just a little bit. And I got home one night. He was home before me in his apartment. And I got a message on my, my uh, phone. Come up right away. Hurry up. Come up. As soon as you get in, come right upstairs. Hurry up. 
I got nervous. I ran up there. The door was open. I opened the door, and there he is with a stool in front of the window looking at the sunset. And he had another stool next to him. He said, come and sit here. Hurry up. Look at the sunset. And I said, really? <laughs> I was so afraid something was wrong. You want me to? I said, it's, it's lovely. You know, I have work to do. And he said, sit here. And so that was the first indication that I knew, you know, I was going to have to find a way to slow down or else, you know. Or the, you know, my, or some, it might happen another way. Yeah. Like you don't have to have like yeah. a illness or something to say, hey, stop. We're a lot of yeah, people right. have, No, you had the sunset. <laughs> yeah, I had him you know, reminding him. me of uh, those moments. So he had said to me, you know, you need to talk to the universe and you need to picture and you need to envision what you want. And, you know, what do you want? And I literally said, I want to be on Oprah. That's the only way I can see that the word can get out to where we can really make a difference. And I remember as I said it, I said to myself, that's like, that's like a ridiculous request. Everybody, if you ask everybody what do they want to do, if they want to grow their business or they want to do something. And he took me to a park and I didn't know why. And he said, okay, we're sitting on this bench. Now close your eyes. I close my eyes and he tells me to envision myself talking to Oprah on the show. And I laughed. I said, are you kidding me? He said, I'm not kidding. Come on. And time after time, we did that on that bench. And I got into it. Again, I know that it was him. And I know that the universe was there with the support. And it happened. And you got there because other people were telling them like the yes. at Oprah about you and what you were doing in the world. I think that's awesome. So they were writing in and then they wanted to find out who is this wonderful woman and what she's doing, you know? Well, that's what they, they said. Yeah. When I finally got the courage to say, how did you know? Because I had actually a friend who I went to school with wrote to me and she said, I heard you're doing this and I'm starting my own PR agency. I'd love to do some work for you pro bono if you want to spread the word. Now, of course, I said, yes. She got us an article in O Magazine a few years before. And that helped, of course. Um, so when they called you know, several years later and told me people were writing in, I could never have imagined that the show's, um, the response of the show would have been the way it was. It was unbelievable. And I know you go into detail in the book about this, but in a short version, you went there, you're on the stage, but Oprah had a surprise for you. What was that? Yes, yes. You have to watch the, the video. You can see it on YouTube or on my, on my website. Yes. Um, yeah, it was a secret what she had done. So they, they prepared me for this um, full interview, which went about a quarter in until they turned the tables on me and pulled out this major surprise. But Let's let everybody watch it and, and see it themselves. That's, that's very cool. So as May 2020, you and your team have delivered more than 7 million good nights filled with magical gifts of pajamas and books to children nationwide in 63 chapters run by volunteers in every state. How can people get involved with your program and spread the news and be part of this bigger vision in your mission? Um, everything that you need to know if you want to learn more about Pajama Program is on pajamaprogram.org, O-R-G. If there's anyone 
or anything specific you want to ask me, I can make an introduction. Um, you can reach me on my website or my email, jen at genevievecatoro.com. Um, so it's, it's there. We always need support. There's fun stuff to do, even, even in this crazy um, pandemic quarantine time. And I pray that light at the end of the tunnel is a real light <laughs> mm -hmm. for all of us. But yeah, I, I, we, we'd, love, we'd love some more love and some more support. Thank you, Genevieve. Can you share with our listeners the special gift that you'd like to give them with them today and all those links that you just mentioned, they're going to be below in the show notes so they can go and get the gift oh, and also you. see that if they didn't get it when we were saying it. So what is this? I'm so excited about the gift that you're giving to our listeners. It's very special and very generous of you. Um, are you talking about the, uh, the, the ebook? That's going to be in January. That's, is that what we're talking about? Yes. In January, we're going to do a special. We're going to do um, a special. And if you sign up on my website, GenevieveFuturo.com, you will get a um, notification from me the beginning of January. Okay. That's all I can say about it for now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'd like to, I love talking to you. <laughs> you know, you're just such a heartful soul and it's, it's amazing what you've done in the world. It's just so fantastic to get this message out to as many people as possible. I would love to come to a close now, kind of link it in from how we started this and with our beautiful heartfelt conversation with you reading from your book, um, from the author's note at the beginning of your book, and just to end it kind of hearing you saying this from, from your heart. So if you could read that, that would be wonderful. And sure, sure, sure. And it's, it's coincidentally what we were just speaking. I didn't even realize it. <laughs> so this is in when the book was ready to be published and COVID hit and the whole racial injustice conversation um, grew to a point where we knew we had to talk about it together. I asked them to stop the press so I could write an author's note to address those topics and they were um, accommodating. So this is part of the author's note at the beginning of the book. Today, we stand on the precipice of a new normal, personally and professionally. As we hope the light at the end of the COVID-19 tunnel remains bright, we must turn our hearts to another healing, and that is to eradicate the racial injustices that have been too many for too long. Planning the next chapters of our lives now we're reevaluating our choices and finding dignified and just measures for inclusive, innovative, and empowering ways to come together. I find myself yearning for meaningful ways to make a difference and to contribute to the beauty I see in people and our world. And I believe you want that too. Oh, thank you, Genevieve. Thank you for sharing from your heart and soul and that beautiful reading on living your purpose, your passion, and finding your pajamas. Namaste. Namaste, Maria.